Okay, so I got to eat the mic. <laughs> so the first title I want to look at tonight is the title of Son. And as we open up the book of Hebrews, this is the first title we come to in chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. And um, it states, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he's appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's quite a portrait there um, that he speaks about the Son. And we find as we uh, go through this that Jesus, the Son of God, is the final revelation of God to man. He's the creator of all things. He is the perfect expression of God. He's the only way uh, to God, being the only acceptable sacrifice for our sins. And now he is in that exalted position at God's right hand. And we have learned through the book of Hebrews that the past has given way to better things in the present. And those better things are found in the Son of God. We now have a relationship with God through his Son because of his sacrifice. This allows us to have access with boldness to the throne room of God. This was not available to the saints in the Old Testament. The high priest could go into uh, the throne room of God there in the, the Holy of Holies once a year. And he went in trembling as he carried in the blood of the sacrifice to make atonement for the sins of the nation. And so it was once a year, and it was with trembling. <clears throat> and they would wear bells on their uh, garments because they wanted to make sure they were still moving in there, that people outside were listening. But we can come because of what Jesus has done for us anytime, for any reason. We have access to God with a boldness because Jesus, the Son of God, has made us daughters to the King. We are his daughters, and we can come before him in that manner with just a, a childlike faith and, and a boldness to come before him. And so let me ask you this. Do you avail yourself of what's been given to you? Do you come boldly? Do you take the time to come before the throne? It's also through the Son uh, that God speaks to us. John 1:18 says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who's in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. And you know what? He still declares him. He's going to declare him in your life and speak to you the things of God. I think about the Mount of Transfiguration when Peter, James, and John, they're up on the mountain. And they see Jesus in his glorified form, shining bright. And they were overwhelmed and um, bewildered. And they were, what do we do with this? 
and a cloud overshadowed them. And the voice of the Father came out in Mark 9, 7. He says, this is my beloved Son. Hear him. You see, Jesus still speaks. And he wants to speak to our hearts. We need to take heed. We need to hear him. And to hear him uh, means we have to quiet ourselves. Be still and know that I'm God. I have to quiet myself, still myself. I have to shut the noise of the world out. I have to shut my own uh, emotions and thoughts and uh, trials and difficulties that just are noisy and loud. I need to quiet them down and be still and be alone with him. He is waiting to speak to our hearts. He still speaks, and Jesus is going to reveal God to you. I think about the disciples as they traveled on the road to Emmaus, and they were walking along the road, and they were disappointed, discouraged, confused. They couldn't figure out what had happened. They put all their hopes in Jesus, and he seemed like like he was going to come through. And then he died. And to them, he failed them. And they didn't know what, what was to come of things. And they were so troubled and downcast. And who shows up? Jesus. They didn't know it at first. But in Luke 24, 25 through 27, he said to them, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? At the beginning of Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So wouldn't you have loved to have sat there and listened to him expound throughout the Bible all those scriptures that, that talked about him? Well, when you sit down with your Bible and you have your time of devotion, that's what Jesus is going to do for you. And little by little, you're going to learn more and more. And what an awesome uh, thing that the Son of God will speak to us personally as we spend time with him. And so we have to make that effort. The more time you spend, the more time he has to speak to you. So let's, let's take time this summer. We're going to break from the women's study, but don't break from your devotions. Uh, continue in the word of God. Continue to put yourself in a place where Jesus can speak to you. The next title we come to is the captain of our salvation. Hebrews 2, 9 through 10 says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone, for it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. So he is the captain. That word can also mean pioneer, so the pioneer of our salvation. That is one who takes the lead. So Jesus took the lead to give way uh, so we could be saved and experience God's glory. See, we lost that position of beholding the glory of God. 
in the Garden of Eden through sin. And Jesus has come to bring us back to that place. He is the pioneer of our salvation, making the way for us to get back to that place of glory intended by God. But as our pioneer, he had to become man and empty himself of his glory. He took upon himself our humanity. Uh, And, you know, think about it. That would be like putting on an extremely dingy, um, dirty garment. You know, nobody wants to put on dirty clothes, right? And Jesus put on human flesh. He was clothed in glory in heaven. And he had to divest himself of that glory to come and take on this body. We have no idea the depths at which Jesus humbled himself to save us. Hebrews 2, 5 through 8 says, Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So as our pioneer, Jesus knows the road that we travel. He's gone before us. He leads the way. He knows its hardships, its trials, its temptations. He understands the sufferings and the harsh reality of life. He did not live a protected privileged life while he was on earth. If you'll remember, he had nowhere to lay his head. He owned nothing in this world. Isaiah 53, verse 3, tells us that he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And so he has walked the lonely road before us. He has walked through the valley of the shadow of death. But he walked that valley Alone, He had no comfort. The comfort he found in God was taken from him. He walked that valley alone. But he has triumphed over death, and it no longer has power over us. When we must traverse the valley of the shadow of death, he will be with us. We don't have to traverse that valley alone. We have his comfort. What an awesome thing that is, that he, he went through as a pioneer, and he made it through the valley of the shadow of death so that you and I can walk through that valley with comfort. And you know what? That valley will bring us to the doorstep of heaven. As the captain of our salvation, he's tasted death for us, and he has delivered us from the futility and the defeat of sin and death, and he leads us to glory. He took upon himself our likeness, and he understands our weakness, and one day we will be like him. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What an awesome uh, thing to look forward to, that we will be like him. 
Our next portrait is the apostle and high priest of our confession. Hebrews 3, 1 says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. That word consider means to put the mind down on a thing, to fix the mind on it. And so we are to consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. And so this requires concentration without distraction. We have to fix our attention on him alone. We can't have our mind on him um, and, and have it consumed in other areas. We need to, to keep our mind fixed on him. Give him undivided attention. And this means doing things like turning off the TV, putting your cell phone away for a bit, um, turning off the computer. You know, you have to be alone with him and consider him. Colossians 3, 1 through 2 says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And so we, we focus ourselves. We are con to consider Jesus as the one who was sent by God to give us a word from God and a way to God. And this is what Jesus has done as the apostle and high priest of our confession. We must consider as a high priest, he's made atonement for our souls, our sins, and restores our relationship with God. Hebrews 2.17 tells us, Therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And so he has become that propitiation, that payment to God for our sins. And he received in himself the penalty that our sins deserve. And consider also that he makes intercession for us. Romans 8.34 says, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Isn't that an awesome thought that Jesus, at the right hand of God Almighty, intercedes on your behalf? Hebrews 7.25 tells us, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. You know what, ladies? You are his passion. He prays for you. I think about Peter. When Satan came, and he wanted to sift Peter as wheat, and we're told that Jesus interceded on his behalf. He interceded. He prayed for Peter that his faith would not fail. Now, Jesus knew that Peter would fail, that he was going to stumble. But he prayed that his faith would not fail. And I love it because God doesn't always take away the temptation or the struggle. But he's praying for your faith to be strengthened and to grow and you'll come back in a, in a stronger way than before. And isn't that what we see in the life of Peter? We know that he did stumble. 
But his faith did not fail. Jesus' prayers prevailed. He's praying for you. He's praying for your faith to grow strong. And when you go through difficulties and temptations and trials, even when we fail, we get back up. He's, he's for us. He's not, not going to knock you when you're down. He reaches out his hand. He's praying for you that your faith would not fail. So we can take comfort in knowing that Jesus is in heaven praying for us, seeking our benefit. He knows the battle that you're in, and he prays with accuracy to meet that need that you have in your life. No one else may quite understand it. He knew exactly for Peter what he needed. It was his faith that was being tested to the core. And so Jesus prayed that his faith would not fail. He knows what your need is better than you do. So we can take comfort in that. The next portrait we come to is the author of eternal salvation. Hebrews 5, 8 through 9 says, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. To author eternal salvation was costly for him. Uh, It was the most costly obedience. It cost him heaven. It cost him um, the mistreatment on earth by Satan and by man. It cost him his very life. Uh, Jesus, as a man, lived out his obedience to the Father to perfection. Through everything that he suffered, he was obedient in every aspect to the death. You know, he prayed for the cup to pass from him. The most difficult aspect in the Garden of Gethsemane, let this cup pass from me in his flesh. It was the biggest struggle. And yet he rendered his obedience to God. He surrendered his will not my will, but yours be done. And so he sacrificed himself for our sins. And his obedience, in his obedience, he has become the author then of our salvation. Having been perfected in his obedience, having gone through his sufferings and finished his sacrifice, he has become the author of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And that word author is the cause of salvation because there's no other way to be saved. Acts 4.12 Nor is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. He alone is the author of salvation. And the salvation that he offers is eternal. It is without end. See, the plan of salvation was ordained before time began, from eternity past. Ephesians 1, 5 through 4 says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, 
according to the good pleasure of his will. We were chosen before the world began. God had you in mind. He had your salvation um, already planned out. He, he desired for you to be holy and without blame. only way he could do that was to send his son. And the plan was in motion. Titus 1-2 says, In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. So God's plan of salvation was promised from all eternity, and its provisions are for all eternity. But this salvation must be received by obedient and receptive hearts. And so we abide in him. And as we do, we are assured our place in eternity. It is authored by Jesus, our Savior. Let's look at the um, anchor of our soul. Hebrews 6, 19-20 says, This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And so this hope we have in Christ is founded upon God's promise and his oath, and we know God cannot lie. As our high priest, Jesus has entered the very presence of God in heaven to provide atonement for us, and he has anchored our hope there. And you know, an anchor on a ship is a weight that is cast down, and it's anchored down into the bottom of the ocean, the ocean floor, so that that ship will not be uh, tossed to and fro with the waves, and it won't drift away by the, uh, the currents. And so Jesus has anchored our hope in heaven, not on earth. See, earth is a temporary place. Yet so many things change on this earth. But heaven is permanent. And so that's where our anchor is, in heaven, in that eternal place. And this anchor holds us in the storms of life, in times of doubt or difficulty or defeat. Our anchor holds within the veil. And this anchor, I am connected to it through Christ. I am connected to him. Psalm 62, 6 says, He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. Now, I'm going to go through the storms. They're going to hit. But I'm anchored in Christ in heaven. And so I may get a little wet. I may hear the thunder roar. But I'm anchored in Christ. I will not be moved. Psalm 16, verse 8 and 9 says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. The life I live on this earth, in my flesh, I have hope. Because my anchor is within the veil. It's anchored in heaven. In this verse, Christ is also called our forerunner. Entering heaven and his presence there is the guarantee that we will one day enter heaven as well. And so this confidence settles our soul. Life is uncertain, but our eternity is not. 
let's look at the surety of a better covenant in, in Hebrews 7.22. It says, by so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Now, the word surety means a guarantee. So a surety is one who stands good for another, that a certain engagement will be faithfully performed. So Jesus is our pledge from God. Jesus is the pledge and firm assurance. He is that surety that it is absolutely certain what God has promised through the gospel. Jesus has brought us into a better covenant with God. And so he's the guarantee that God will faithfully perform on our behalf all that he has promised in the gospel. Jesus is that note we can take to the bank. And so he is our surety. And I love it because he has given us his Holy Spirit, which seals us to that day of redemption. The next portrait is that of a mediator in Hebrews 8.6. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. And this is better than the promises in the Old Testament. Jesus has a more excellent ministry as high priest because, like we've been saying, his service is in heaven. His work of salvation is finished, and he sits at the right hand of God. He ministers in the true sanctuary in heaven. And he is the mediator of that better promise, uh, that better a covenant established on better promises. The old covenant was faulty because it could not not make men perfect. What it did do was help us see our need of a Savior. And we needed someone to bridge the gap. Job said this in Job 9, 32 and 33, speaking about God and the uh, situation that he was in, he said that he is not a man as I am, that I may answer him. And that we should go to court together, nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. He saw that he couldn't just go to God. He needed uh, someone to mediate for him. A mediator is like an arbitrator that is able to talk to two sides, uh, both people in a, uh, of both parties. And the reason we need a mediator is God is holy. And man is sinful. And there's a huge divide. We can't come together with God. And so Jesus became our mediator. And he became a man and took on our humanity so that he was able to represent both parties. As a part of the Godhead, he holds God's hand. And as part of humanity, he holds man's hand. And through the cross, he bridged the gap and brought us together. First Timothy 2.5 says, There is one God and one mediator between <clears throat> God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There is no one else that can bring you to God. No other mediator. He is the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. It's through his mediation. First Peter 3.18 says, For Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, 
that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in Romans 5.10, he talks about, uh, through his death, we are reconciled to God. And so it was Jesus that brought us together. And Jude 24 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. So through his death, he has brought us into that relationship with God, completely reconciled. We are at peace with God now. And I love it because Jude says that he is going to present you faultless before his presence of his glory with joy, exceeding joy. That's how Jesus feels about you. He's going to present you before God faultless, blameless, spotless. Is that awesome or what? Because we know we don't deserve that, right? But that's how he is going to present us. The next portrait we have is author and finisher of our faith. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When we got to Hebrews chapter 11, uh, we looked at the hall of faith and all the men and women in the Old Testament that were uh, faithful um, saints, and they were such an inspiration for all of us to look at how they worked out their faith in difficulty, and they had to wait on God, and they had to persevere through difficulty and problems, and they are such an um, inspiration. But here he says that we are to be looking unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher. You see, that we can look at the saints in the Old Testament and be inspired, and we can look at each other and we can be encouraged. But we are to be looking unto Jesus. Why? He is the author and finisher of our faith. The word author there is chief leader and pioneer, the architect or originator of our faith. And that's the same word translated as captain of our salvation. So um, in Hebrews 2.10, he is the pioneer of our salvation. And here... He is the author of our faith. Hebrews 2, 8 through 10 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so Jesus is the originator of our faith. And we need to keep our eyes on him in order to run the race that he has set before us, because we each have a course to run, and they will all be different. The, the choices and the hardships and the trials that we face are going to be different from one to another. But Jesus has created that course for us, and he is going to see us through to the end. He's not only the author. He doesn't just get you started. But he is the finisher of our faith. He has a plan to see you through all the way. He's, he's not like us. We sometimes get projects started. I don't know about you, but, you know, I'm a great starter. 
I have like watercolors half done in my closet. I have, you know, just lots of projects that I got, you know, gung-ho in the beginning. I'm really glad Jesus does not work on us like this. You know, you get to heaven and you're only half done. It's just be embarrassing. But he's the author and the finisher of our faith. That is the perfecter of our faith. Jesus is working in our life. What he has started, he will finish. You can't go anywhere else to to get that work done. He's the one that's going to do the work for you. Uh, Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. We are dependent on him to uh, grow our faith to walk with us when the days are dark. We need him to light the way for us. Philippians 2.13 says, It is God who works in you both to will and do for his good pleasure. Aren't you glad he's working in you? He's working in you that he might work out of you. That example of faith for others to come. And Psalms 138.8 says, The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. He's going to perfect the things in your life. going to help you to grow. And you know, we're not going to be perfect till we get to heaven. But let me tell you, he's not going to stop working. We are definitely a work in progress. He's going to get you uh, safely home and grow your faith. But we have to be looking to him. Let's look at the great shepherd of the sheep. And this is our last um, portrait we get in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And the, the, when I look at this great shepherd of the sheep, and Jesus spoke of himself as the good shepherd, and what a tender picture this gives us of our Lord. You know, a shepherd's job was to watch for enemies that are trying to attack the sheep, to defend the sheep from attackers, to heal the wounded and the sick sheep, to find and save the lost sheep, to love them, to share their lives and live among them. And so this is what Jesus does for us. In John 10, 14 through 16, Jesus himself says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. And so the relationship portrayed by this title is intimate. It is personal. As our good shepherd, he knows us by name. He calls his own sheep by name. You are not just a flock and just a group. You're personal. He knows you by name. His thoughts of you are innumerable and precious. You are an individual. And so 
Um, he watches over your life with great care and says that we hear his voice and follow him. He leads us into abundant life. In Psalms 23, he leads us by the still waters and the green pastures. He provides everything that we need, our protection, our provision. We lack nothing as he shepherds our lives. He restores our soul. And you know, when life takes us through the valley of the shadow of death, he goes with us. We will not go through that valley alone. And he provides the protection and the comfort of his presence. He spares nothing for our benefit, laying down his own life, that we, his sheep, would have life eternal. And we are assured of this, Psalm 23, 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is what is promised to his sheep. So as I looked at the, the titles of our Lord and the picture that we have of him, uh, it really just paints a picture of our Savior. How awesome he is, what he has given, what he has done for us. And you look at the care, the concern uh, that he has for his people. And I look at these portraits, and I see every single one of them is framed by his sacrifice. There isn't one of these titles that doesn't come in contact with his sacrifice, his shedding of his blood, his taking our sins upon himself, his giving us eternal life through laying down his own. And so because just looking back at who Jesus is in the book of Hebrews, I want to just leave you with the let us encouragements of this letter. Because Jesus is such an awesome Savior, and he is the captain of our salvation, and he is the author and finisher of our faith, our great shepherd. Hebrews 4.1 says, Therefore, let us fear, let us, uh, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to come short of us. Do not come short of receiving the rest that he wants for you. Hebrews 4.11 says, Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Let's give him this summer, the time that, that we're off, let us give him a diligence in our walk, in our pursuit of him. Hebrews 4.14, Seeing that we have a high, great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Let's hold fast to this faith that we have professed. Hebrews 6, 1. Let us go on to perfection. Let's mature in our faith because of all that Jesus is and all that he has done for us. Let's move forward. I don't want to drift back. Let us move on to perfection. Hebrews 10, 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Draw near to him. Let us do that. Let's spend time with him and draw near with a true heart. 
In Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, because faithful is he who promised. He has been faithful to us. Let us be faithful to him. Hebrews 12.1 says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race set before us. Whatever is going on in your life tonight, run with endurance the race set before you. Jesus is alongside, running with you. He is uh, going to build your faith as you run with him. Run with endurance. Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Let us serve him for all that he has done for us. We owe him everything. We owe him everything. So let us serve him acceptably with reverence, remembering who he is and godly fear. Hebrews 13, 13, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. And there will be times when you're not accepted. And let us go back. He was not accepted on our behalf. There's going to be times when we're not accepted on his behalf. It's okay. We're in good company. Hebrews 13, 15, therefore, by him, let us. Continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And we have so much to thank him for, do we not? Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Father, we want to thank you for this year of study in the book of Hebrews. Thank you for how you have revealed yourself to us personally powerfully, practically, as we have...